Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Tonight on 60 Minutes Presents, an hour of music. I left my heart. Tony Bennett's been singing and swinging for 70 years. Now at 95, he's struggling with dementia. But as we saw when we spent time with him, not even Alzheimer's could stop this legend from getting back on stage with his friend Lady Gaga and putting on what may be his last and best performance ever. Stepping out with my baby can't go wrong because I'm in right. Often as we hear bands play, we rarely glimpse bands at work, much less the biggest band that ever was. Well, teleport to 1969 and meet the Beatles. Director Peter Jackson went deep, sifting through dozens of hours of never-before-seen film, allowing the world an intimate look at the Beatles in studio and an intimate listen to every conversation. Left his home in Tucson, Arizona. New Orleans has been quieter than normal during the pandemic. But musicians find a way. Tonight, we introduce you to New Orleans' self-proclaimed best band in the land. So you could hear them and their story. Thank you, Eddie, for a second. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. 
Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Good evening. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. Welcome to 60 Minutes Presents. Tomorrow's Grammy Awards may have been postponed, but we have an hour of music sure to leave a song in your heart. We'll join the Beatles as they prepare for their final public concert on a London rooftop. And then hear a very different kind of band, marching through the streets of New Orleans. But we begin with another look at Anderson Cooper's poignant portrait of the legendary Tony Bennett. When Tony Bennett's family announced he had Alzheimer's disease last February, few of the 94-year-old singer's fans imagined they'd ever see him on stage again. But this past summer, with his family's help, he began rehearsing for two concerts at Radio City Music Hall with his friend, Lady Gaga. No one knew for sure if Tony would be able to pull it off, but his family believed that Tony's story could give hope to others struggling with Alzheimer's and invited Anderson Cooper and a 60 Minutes crew to follow him preparing for what would likely be his final act. I left my In San Francisco. Tony Bennett has been singing hits and swinging jazz High on a hill. for seven decades. But for Tony now, those years are a dim memory, lost in the fog of dementia from Alzheimer's. He spends much of his time in his New York apartment looking through books and old photos. What are these of? We met Tony and his wife Susan in June, a few weeks before his 95th birthday. Is that Bob Hope? Bob and Dolores. They sent that for your 75th birthday, and in a month and a half, you're going to be 95. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel 95? You don't look it. How old do you feel, Tony? 95. (laughs) (laughs) Tony has his good moments, but Susan has to do most of the talking. She says he first grew concerned about his memory six years ago. We came home one night and he said, Susan, he said, I'm having a hard time remembering the names of the musicians. The musicians he was playing with? Yeah, who he works with all the time. And so it was unusual. And I said, well, do you want to go see a doctor about it? And he said, I do. Did you know right away that it was Alzheimer's? Yeah. Dr. Gayatri Devi is Tony's neurologist. She diagnosed him in 2017. Do you know what is happening in in Tony's brain? No one really knows, but I know that his hippocampus, which is the grand central station of memories, and the conduit through which we retrieve memories as well as lay down memories, is not working very well. Look at this, Tom. Wow, what's that? That's a painting that you did. Susan and Tony have been together for more than 30 years. She's now his full-time caregiver. How much does 
Tony understand about what's going on around him at any given time? Every day is different. Tony, late at night, sometimes early in the morning, he's more alert, if I can use that word. So I'll tell him, Tony, you're going to be on 60 Minutes. He's like, great. I said, do you remember that show, 60 Minutes? He's like, I do. But in any other given moment, he won't know. I mean, he recognizes you. He recognizes me, thank goodness, his children. We are blessed in a lot of ways. He's very sweet. He doesn't know he has it. He doesn't know he has Alzheimer's. (laughs) What he does know is that he's at home, not performing on stage. He'd continued to sing after his diagnosis, but the pandemic took him off the road. Susan says it's been hard on him. It was Gayatri Devi, our doctor, who said, if he wants to sing, let him sing, because that's the best thing for him. You know, all the meds and all the treatments they do to stimulate your brain, for him, there's nothing more stimulating than performing. Tony's oldest son and manager, Danny Bennett, came up with the idea of the Radio City concerts in August with Lady Gaga. It was broadcast on CBS this fall. The pandemic was a big, it was a big thing for me, like ending his career on it note. couldn't end that way. Couldn't end that way. After all that, he he did. Tony and Lady Gaga released their first album together in 2014. In 2018, he was able to record another album with her, which was released late last year. By June, however, his disease had progressed, and Susan told us she wasn't sure exactly what would happen at the planned Radio City concert. How you doing, handsome? Okay. You want to look over here at me? (laughs) (laughs) But when it was time to rehearse, something incredible happened. Tony's accompanist, Lee Musiker, began playing, and suddenly the legendary showman was back. Let someone stop believing in you. Let him hold out his hand. Let him find you and watch what happens. Smile though your heart is aching. Smile even though it's breaking. He had no notes, no cue cards. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. We were amazed. All his old songs were somehow still there. He sang an hour-long set from memory. If you just smile. Bravo, Tony. Thank you. That was incredible. (laughs) You just start playing something and it's all there? When I start playing, Tony is completely engaged. And this is a whole new performance. And new phrases, new nuance, nothing short of a miracle. Dr. Gayatri Devi explained how a transformation like that was possible. People respond differently depending on their strengths. In Tony's case, it's his musical memory, his ability to be a performer. Those are an innate and hardwired part of his brain. So even though he doesn't know what the day might be or where his apartment is, he still can sing the whole repertoire of the American Songbook and move people. How does music stimulate the brain? 
that engages multiple different parts of the brain, right? So there's the auditory cortex for hearing. There's the part of the brain that deals with movement and dance. There's the visual system that gets engaged. So it's kind of like a whole brain um, activator. Tony could remember the songs, but could he remember how to perform them in front of thousands of people? Lady Gaga knew it wasn't going to be easy. And you know, Anderson, for the first couple of weeks that I saw Tony since COVID, he called me sweetheart. But I wasn't sure he knew who I was. In rehearsals this July, she found new ways to connect and communicate with her old friend. When asking him questions, she'd keep it simple. For example, if I were to say, Tony, would you like to sing Love for Sale? He'll say, yeah. And if I say, Tony, would you like to say, sing Love for Sale? Or it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Uh, he might not have as easy of a response. Do you want to sing Anything Goes? Yeah. All right, great. Anything Goes. When that music comes on, it's something happens to him. He knows exactly what he's doing. And what's important for me, actually, just to make sure that I don't get in the way of that. On opening night in early August, Radio City's 6,000 seats were sold out. It was Tony's 95th birthday. Happy birthday to and his fans were waiting. Lady Gaga opened the show. Backstage, Susan did her best to remind Tony what was happening. We're going to watch Lady Gaga's set. Right. And then you're going to sing. Okay? How many songs am I singing? I'll tell you what you're going to sing. When it was time, they walked toward the stage together. Then the lights went out and the curtain went up. Once he saw, saw the audience, and you know, when he raises his hands, he's, I knew we were all right. Because he became himself. He just turned on. You know, it was like a light switch. Let someone start believing in you. Let him hold down his hand. Let him find you and watch what happens. Stepping out with my baby can't go wrong, cause I'm in right. Ask me, when will that day be? The big day may be tonight. This is all I ask. There may have been a few missteps, but the crowd didn't care. It was Tony's night, and the old crooner was in command. Beautiful girls. Walk. A little slower when you walk by me. He sang more than a dozen songs and got at least 20 standing ovations. Should we keep going? Wow! What a great audience. When it came time for Lady Gaga to join him for some final duets, listen to what Tony said as she appeared on stage. Hey, Tony. That's the first time that Tony said my name in a long time. Really? In, in all the weeks leading up to it, he hadn't said your name? 
I had to keep it together because we had a sold out show and I have a job to do. But I'll tell you, when I walked out on that stage and he said, it's Lady Gaga, my friend saw me and it was very special. Go to the opera and I stay one away. That's why the lady is a tramp. She likes the free, free fresh, fresh wind in her hair. Life without care. But you know, Tom, I'm kind of broke. That's so. And at the end of the night, Lady Gaga was there to walk Tony Bennett off the stage one last time. It's the last thing that I said to Tony on stage was, um, Mr. Bennett, it would be my honor if I could escort you off the stage. And he said, okay. And I did. And just simply being the woman that got to walk him off stage, that's enough for me. You were so amazing. The public loved it. They yeah, did. yeah. You were, you were spectacular. Thank you. Everybody, Mr. Tony Bennett. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. I thought it was a triumph, really. It's like, uh, you know, climbing Mount Olympus, and he made it. A few days after that triumph, we met Tony and Susan on their daily walk in Central Park. How did you feel about the concert the other night? Did you, were you I don't happy? know what you mean. I saw you at Radio City. You did a great job. Oh, thank you very much. Tony had no memory of playing Radio City at all. Is this a sad story? Tony Bennett's last performance? No, it's not a sad story. It's emotional. It's hard to watch somebody change. I think what's been beautiful about this and what's been challenging is to see how it affects him in some ways, but to see how it doesn't affect his talent. I think he really pushed through something to give the world the gift of knowing that things can change and you can still be magnificent. Your golden sun will shine for me. At 95 years old, Tony Bennett continues setting records. His album with Lady Gaga, released this past fall, is up for six Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year. He is the oldest performer ever nominated in that category. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
It's January 1969, and the Beatles are unrecognizable from the wide-eyed mob tops who appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show just five years prior. Their popularity is unrivaled. They've stopped touring, and fame is exacting its price. Now comes a self-imposed stress. They've given themselves three weeks to record 14 songs that they'll play to a live audience, all the while trailed by cameras. The astonishingly intimate footage was recently extracted from a London vault and placed in the capable hands of filmmaker Peter Jackson. His resulting three-part documentary series, Get Back, dropped last November on Disney+. As John Wertheim reported at the time, it adds considerable light and joy to what was always considered to be the Beatles' darkest period. You might say Jackson took a sad song and, well, you know the rest. Often as we hear bands play, we rarely glimpse bands at work, much less the biggest band that ever was. Well, teleport to 1969 and meet the Beatles. I've got a feeling, a feeling I can't hide, oh no. You're the first person to look at this with fresh eyes in years and years. What was it like watching this footage. It was fascinating. After 50 years, you'd have every right to believe that everything with the Beatles had been talked about, every bit of film had been seen, every bit of music had been heard, that there was no more surprises with the Beatles. From his base in New Zealand, director Peter Jackson took a break from directing big-budget studio films like Lord of the Rings. I want to show you the bit where Paul is practicing his head shakes. And has spent the last four years hanging out with John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Suddenly, bang, out of nowhere, comes this incredible treasure trove of flammable material 52 years later. It, 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 it still blows my mind. It actually, honestly, still blows my mind. So how about, how about changing around these two? And when you sing, don't you know it's going to last? We sing, it's a love that has no plan. I'm in love for the first time. So give us some historical context here. Under what circumstances was this footage shot? They've lost what they loved as teenagers. They've lost being the four guys playing in a band. So they're going to record a new album with songs that only that, that they're only going to play live, and they're not going to do any studio tricks. There's going to be no multi-tracking, and they had to just, they had to figure out where and how they were going to perform to an audience. Yeah. As the Beatles wrote and rehearsed, they allowed a film crew to capture every riff both on guitar and in conversation. I mean, Corny's all right in this one, because what he's doing is corny. But it, see, that's, that's the thing that will make it not corny if we sing different words. So he's saying, I'm in love, Father. The month's worth of filming yielded only the forgettable 80-minute documentary, Let It Be, released a year later, after the Beatles broke up. A lifelong Beatles fan, Peter Jackson had always wondered what had happened to all those hours of unseen footage. So here we are in vault number three. His Tolkien-like quest took him deep under the London headquarters of Apple Corps, the Beatles label. They just said, we've got it all. We've got um, 57 hours of footage, we've got 130 hours of audio. And then they said that they were thinking about making a documentary using the footage. I just put up my hand and said, well, if, if you are looking for somebody to make it, um, don't uh, please just um, think, think of me. Back in 
back in New Zealand, Jackson began the ultimate binge watch, screening this musical motherlode frame by frame. I can do it well in time. Given that any Beatles fan will tell you that Let It Be comes shrouded in sadness, forever associated with the great divorce in rock and roll history, Jackson braced for the gloomy worst. I was watching, I was waiting for it to get bad. I was waiting for the narrative that I'd believed over the years to start happening. I was waiting for the arguments, waiting for the discontent, waiting for the misery, and you know, it didn't happen. I mean, it shows, you know, it shows issues, it shows problems, but, but any band, any time has those, has, those, um, has those problems. This is not a band that's breaking up. These are not guys that dislike each other. That's not what, I'm, what, what we're seeing here. This is not what was being filmed. Here's what was being filmed. The four Liverpudlians in their late 20s, working collaboratively, surrounded by a strikingly small, tight entourage. There's Linda, Linda Eastman at the time, taking photos. And of course, Yoko Ono. As long as we're here, let's dispense now with that famous bit of Beatles breakup mythology. The casual fan looking for Yoko Ono broke up the Beatles might come away from this disappointed, I suspect. Yeah, I think that's a good thing because, you know, I mean, you know, Yoko didn't break up the Beatles and, and no one thing broke up the Beatles. That's the original. That's the original. So Giles Martin is the son of late Beatles producer George Martin. Giles grew up in the Beatles orbit and has since remixed most of the band's albums. When Peter Jackson enlisted him for this series, Martin plowed through all the hundreds of hours of audio and video. You can see the cracks appearing. The one thing about this movie is that people understand why they were getting tired of each other, because you get the sense of what it's like to be in a room with them, which is such a privilege for all of us. Despite those cracks, the Beatles' alchemy remains potent. At one point, we have footage of Paul McCartney sort of strumming on it on his bass, which he uses as a guitar half the time. Just sort of strumming. I think it's early in the morning and they're waiting for John to, hasn't arrived yet. He's just biding some time. He slowly finds the tune. So you see this song kind of just be plucked out of thin air. Left his home in Tucson, Arizona. Tucson in Arizona? Yeah, Tucson. It's where they make high chaparral. Like, it makes sense, but Jordan left his home. I was hoping it would be a blast. Pretty soon he found that he'd have to be alone with some California grass. You know, now, okay, you make that makes sense, but it's insane. The Beatles had always been furiously productive but this was the creative process in double time. 14 songs in 22 days. Was that as much an absurd time pressure in 1969 as it would appear to be today? Yeah, this is the biggest band on the planet saying, we're gonna do it, we're gonna do our first show in three years, in three weeks time, but we don't know where it's gonna be. And we don't know what songs we're gonna play. As you listen to all the recordings for this project, what impressions did you arrive at in terms of their chemistry? My impression of it is that Paul and John kind of knew that they were growing apart. And Let It Be was almost like 
a marriage that's failing and they want to go back on their date nights again. Compounding matters, George Harrison, restless in his role and bristling under Paul McCartney's driving ambition, leaves the band after a week. It's the most low-key walkout that you've ever seen in your life. It's just, um, I'm leaving now. What? I'm leaving the band now. And then he goes. There's no fight, there's no argument, there's no disagreement. John was in love with Yoko, and in his words, he was mistreating his body. The band was competing for his attention, not always successfully. When I was younger, much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now my life has changed in oh so many ways. We can't carry on like this indefinitely. We seem to be. We seem to, but we can't. What you need is a serious program of work. Not an aimless rambling amongst the canyons of your mind. Paul had grudgingly become the band's hall monitor, more lead than singer. George was persuaded to come back, but with the live performance approaching, the Beatles decided they needed a change of scenery. They relocated to a makeshift studio in the basement of Apple Records. I dig a pygmy by Charles Hawtrey and the Deaf Aids. Phase one in which Doris gets her oats. A surge of fresh energy also came in the form of a keyboard player, Billy Preston, a 22-year-old Texan brought in by George. influence of Billy Preston on this album and on the Beatles at the time. This hotshot comes in and they just had to suddenly improve their playing because they had this force of nature in the room with them. And I think that's what he did. I think he worked as a catalyst and galvanized them so they could make the record or make them do the, do the right performance. It's an upbeat scene at odds with how so many remembered that time not least the principals themselves. But Peter Jackson's Get Back series doesn't just restore lost footage or the Beatles' music, it restores something much deeper. You mentioned memory before. I wonder, did, did their recollections match up with this, this documentary evidence you were presenting them with? 50 years later, I'm talking to, to Ringo and Paul, and their memory was very miserable and unhappy. And I'd say, look, what, whatever your memories are, whatever you think, your memories are. This is the actual tr truth of it. And here, look, look at, look at this. You and I have memories longer than a road that stretches out ahead. With one hum, oh yes, now two of us wearing raincoats. They started to realise what what this is. I mean, this is a an incredibly amazing historical document of the Beatles at work and four friends at work, and clearly they're four friends.
deadline didn't exactly dampen the mood in the studio. In what of the culmination of these sessions, that live performance? The band simply walked up a few flights of stairs and on January 30th, 1969, played atop the Apple offices. No one at the time suspected it, but this would mark the Beatles' final performance before splitting up 14 months later. It took a half century and an exacting director on the other side of the world, who knows plenty about the power of myth, to revise the lore surrounding the Beatles' breakup and set the record straight. Last year, Mardi Gras came and went New Orleans without much fanfare. Because of the pandemic, for the first time in 42 years, the city's world-famous parades did not roll. Instead, New Orleans was eerily quiet, unless you listened extra carefully. Far from the normal parade route, we found a high school marching band breaking the silence. They call themselves the best band in the land. As we first told you last March, we call them a story and a band you ought to hear. All right, here we go. Hold up. Augustine High School Marching Band needs no introduction in New Orleans. The drums and horns have echoed through the city since the band was founded in 1952. But like any aging instrument, it was in need of a tune-up. All right, bad last note. The whole stadium heard that. Enter Ray Johnson. Do it again. was hired as the new band director in 2020, and he didn't waste time with pleasantries. Can you tell if they've been practicing? Uh, yes, I can. Everything has to be precise. The marching, the precision, standing correctly. And can you hear it if one of them is off? I can, yes. And will you call them out on that? I sure will. <laughs> in New Orleans, marching band is a culture. Just like in some places, they have football as a culture. But here in this city, they live, breathe, eat, sleep, everything, marching band. St. Aug, as it's known, is one of the few predominantly black, all-boys Catholic high schools in the country. It sits in New Orleans' 7th Ward, seven blocks from the Mississippi River, not the part of the city usually found on postcards. The school is surrounded by reminders of a city forever rebuilding. And here, Ray Johnson is rebuilding, too. Accent! The best band in the land is more of a mission statement these days. I got wrong notes coming from over here. Since Hurricane Katrina flooded the school in 2005, it's been a long haul. The music library is still a temporary trailer on the blacktop. 
School didn't come back the same, and instruments, we didn't have enough, and the uniforms were damaged. So we had to uh, rebuild everything. And just now, we were beginning to see the fruits of our labor, and then here comes COVID. How many kids are in the band now? On the row, I have 85. Where would you like that number to be? 150. 150 allows for a full band and a deep bench. For decades, they easily hit that number. On a sizzling hot blacktop over the summer, hundreds of students would try out for a spot. The competition was fierce. Many of the kids had grown up playing music. Ray Johnson was one of them. Would you have ever skipped practice back in the 80s? Oh, no, ma'am. No. no, not at all. If you, if you skip practice, you got a 10 dudes lined up to take your spot. They were a powerhouse. St. Augustine played for eight presidents and a pope. The band's founder, Edwin Hampton, was a no-nonsense disciplinarian who created the band's signature style. Most marching bands, what they call show bands, they might dance or play popular music. The difference that set St. Augustine apart, we played popular music, but we had a military style. That meant eyes forward and chins up no matter what. Pristine uniforms, perfect lines, and gravity-defying knees would whip Mardi Gras crowds into a frenzy. Let's go, March 100! In 1960, Ruby Bridges famously desegregated New Orleans public schools. Seven years later, St. Augustine desegregated Mardi Gras parades. Band members say they were urinated on as they passed under balconies. Dr. Kenneth St. Charles was the school's president in 2020. So they had people throwing things at them. They had to not respond. They had people yelling up sentences to them. They could not respond. It's a lot to ask of a, of a young guy. It's a, it's a lot to ask of a, of a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid to not retaliate. You know, we teach them as we do in our Christian faith Turn the other cheek. Dr. St. Charles knows the discipline required in those moments. In 1981, he and his classmate, Ray Johnson, were marching in a Mardi Gras parade for St. Augustine when an adult who was chaperoning the band got into a scuffle with a plainclothes police officer. The officer pulled his gun. And then the gun went off. And all of a sudden, the police started showing up on horseback. The band got disarray and stuff like that. So one of our baritone players said, Ray, you have blood on your uniform. And that's when I started feeling the pain in the side of my face here. So that's where the bullet went in my jaw and came out the back of my neck. You didn't realize you'd been shot? I didn't know I was shot. One police officer was trying to give me first aid. So he said, look, he said, I got to cut this uniform off you to see if you're hitting anywhere else. And I said, hold up. I said, you can't cut this uniform. I said, it has buttons on it. I can take it off. Why didn't you want him to cut the uniform? Well, I knew that if this man cut this uniform, uh, Mr. Hampton would probably kill me. After college, Johnson returned to St. Augustine, where he worked as an assistant to Edwin Hampton for 11 years before leaving to teach at another school. Hampton stayed for another 12 years until he passed away in 2009. Without him, some at St. Augustine thought the band had lost its edge. Ray Johnson was hired back to sharpen it. For me, it was like, dude, you're about to fall deep 
into the rituals of the tradition. Ray is like the essence of St. Aug. Bryce Miller played the trumpet under Hampton, the band's founder, and Johnson in the 90s. His son Bryce, a sophomore, was a familiar name on Johnson's roster. He already knew who I was because of my dad, so he expected a lot from me. Now having my son participating not only in the band, but with your band director, it was a beautiful thing. Beautiful might not be the way some of the teenagers would describe the introduction. Now y'all want to meet the real Mr. Johnson? Y'all want to meet the real Mr. Johnson? If y'all going to say y'all the best band, y'all got to prove it. Senior Cabrell Johnson and eighth grader Lawrence Honoré are part of the drum line. Honoré wasn't much bigger than his snare drum when he decided he wanted to play for St. Augustine. Put your heels together, Mr. Honoré. Tell me your impression of Mr. Ray. I think he's pretty nice. He could be feisty at sometimes, but that's all discipline. What do you mean feisty? Like, he yells, but he yells out of passion. Everything has to be sharp. So trumpet, what's going on now? I need y'all to play it every time. That's how y'all gonna get good at it. When I'm sitting here talking to you, you're so almost soft-spoken, and you see you out there on the blacktop, mm -hmm. and it gets up a level. All right. That's by design. I want you to be out your comfort zone because I need you to pay attention. And when you pay attention, you learn. A few minutes into practice and it's clear the band's program isn't just designed to produce good musicians. It's part of the school's larger mission, to produce good men. Y'all look good, man. Great job. I'm proud of y'all. Thank you. That's the history of this, of this school. Your teachers are strong, intellectual black men. Your coaches, strong, intellectual black men. Your band directors, strong, intellectual black men. So you see that wide range, that wide display of, again, black male success. The school preaches discipline, and the band demands it. The only way to achieve St. Augustine's signature military formations is to stay in line and make sure the guy next to you is too. Where my temple at? I need to hear. Pick up them legs. Tell me about Mr. Ray. What has he done for the band? One year ago is not the same band you see today. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, it was a little bit less disciplined. But now, if you move, you will be, you're gonna have them push-ups after that parade. Wait, if you move, you have to do push-ups? Oh, most definitely. Do people try to get your attention? Oh, they do. I remember my cousin has tried, my mother has tried. So you just have to be eyes you have forward. To be locked in. Last winter, nothing seemed to be moving in New Orleans. The pandemic shuttered the city. Even Bourbon Street seemed to have sobered up. It's your responsibility to learn. For almost a year, St. Augustine bounced between in-person and virtual learning. We can't decide what God is going to do. If he say everything shut down, everything shuts down. When band practice was canceled for a week, then a month, Lawrence Honoré improvised. When their high school football game was nearly flooded, the entire band called an audible and shook the stadium from below. And when they learned Mardi Gras parades were canceled, I don't know why y'all coming wide like this. Ray Johnson didn't miss a beat. Boom, 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 boom. Well, it's hard because it's a tradition. You know, just like anything else, you know, you got to suck it up and keep moving. That's what Bryce Miller's doing. He's a professional musician. When the city shut down in 2020, his work dried up. 
he started volunteering with the band. Before this, you know, your dad was busy all the time, right? Now you're seeing a lot more of him because of the pandemic. What's that been like for you? Like, I'm actually proud of him because he's also kind of struggling. You know, he's a professional musician. He can't do none of that jazz fest, can't do anything. But he really loves what he does, but he loves his family more. I want him to be the best, the most successful that he can possibly be. I don't want him to become a statistic in any way. That's the realism of raising a black boy and raising a black boy in a city like New Orleans. That realism doesn't take holidays off. Lawrence Honoré's good friend, who attended a different school, was killed walking out of a store. On Christmas night, he had got caught in a crossfire, and he had shot him in the head. And how old is he? 14. The same age as Honoré. He played at his buddy's funeral, and then his mom drove him straight to band practice. With just about everything canceled for a year, it was hard for anyone to find a reason to get dressed. But that's exactly why Ray Johnson had the band do it anyway. And then directed them to march through the neighborhood. The route lacked the grandeur of a Mardi Gras parade, but locals poured onto their porches anyway. Even when they're a little scratchy and a lot loud, it is a joyful sound in the Seventh Ward. I think when people heard us starting to practice again and the students coming back, it, it gave a sense of, okay, things are getting better. I think it's so good that the band marches around the block because I feel like that is... That is St. Nog, that is New Orleans. Yeah, that's what people need nowadays because of the pandemic. They need something to cheer them up. They march down the block, hanging a right at Hope Street, Ray Johnson behind them at every step. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. 
Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Don't miss true crime anytime you want, anywhere you go with the 48 Hours Podcast. Real crimes. Like a John Grisham novel come to life. Real lives. He pointed a gun to me and said, this is the day you die. And he shot me. Real justice. There's some questions that have to be asked and need to be answered. I'm an innocent man, and I hope the whole world can see it now. Catch the latest episodes of 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.